Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study through the Bible, we have worked our way through the New Testament in five years, and then over the last year and change, we worked through the book of Genesis. We are now in the book of Exodus. We are in the beginning stages of a 15-year journey through the Old Testament together. So we have our, uh, our plan laid out for us, and uh, we will do our best to stick to it unless Jesus comes back, and then all bets are off. Uh, but other than that, as far as I know, that's what we're doing. So um, context in the Bible is very important. It's very good to read the Bible. Um, all believers should have read the book. Sometimes I know they haven't got to it yet, and so let me encourage you, get to it. Um, read the Bible from cover to cover, and then do it again, 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 and on and on and on and on and on. You, it's not one of those books you read one time and go, I got it down now. It's, uh, you know, the fascinating thing about the Bible is it's alive. Um, and so the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time you read it, it will sort of give you something new. Um, it's fascinating that way. Nothing like it. And, and uh, I've read the Bible a lot. And still, you know, as I read it daily, I am amazed at how often I get new sort of stuff out of it. And it's because the Holy Spirit leads us in it and teaches us as we go. And um, It's just amazing that way. So, so let me encourage you, read your Bibles. And then we study them this way so we have context for how it all fits together. And we get a chance to, you know, talk about it. And we're, we're working through it a chapter at a time so we can see certain things and, and see how they continue to... Uh, you know, work their way through and how it makes sense in the New Testament and how that all ties everything together. So now we're in the book of Exodus. And we're three chapters in. We're in the third chapter today. And uh, in Genesis, I gave you some things I wanted you to remember as we studied. I gave uh, last week for the first time. There's four things I want to have you sort of hold on to as we study Exodus together. And, and those four things are the Passover which will sort of, the first 14 chapters kind of covers that event. Then the crossing at the Red Sea, the giving of the law, and the tabernacle. Those four things. And all of those are very important for us to know and understand. And uh, all of them have significant implications in the New Testament and what they look like. So um, just, you know, as I told you in Genesis, I wanted you to know, they know that Genesis was about the creation and the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel. Those were the big events. These are the four things you need to be looking for. Passover, crossing the Red Sea, the giving of the law, and the tabernacle. So be thinking about that as we read and what's going on. Um, there were four, you know, four main characters in Genesis that we talked about, which were the patriarchs and Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They'll, 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 they, they maintain their importance throughout. Um, primarily, we're going to be dealing with Moses here in this book, but there's some other very important people that, that God puts around him, Aaron... Um, you know, and, and some, some other significant folks are going to pop up on the journey. But this is primarily, um, you know, how God uses Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of bondage from uh, slavery in Egypt, which has gone on for 430 years or so. Um, this bondage has taken place. And um, remember, things started well in Egypt, but they turned south under new regimes of pharaohs and, and they have enslaved the people of Israel and God's going to set them free. But they've become a great nation. Remember in Genesis they started with 70 people. When the exodus happens they'll be 2 million strong. Pretty cool when you think about it. Uh, how God put them in a spot where that could happen. 
just like he said he would. And now he's going to bring them in mass into the promised land in a big group. Very, very cool stuff. Into Canaan, all that he promised before. Um, and so as we begin to read in chapter 3 now, what you need to look for is um, Moses has undergone a significant change in his situation and circumstance. So in Egypt, he was one of the ruling class. He was, uh, you know, he had the best of everything. He had training in the best schools. Um, he, he lived as a prince uh, in, in, you know, in Egypt. Um, he'd acquired all their learning. Uh, he'd become a, a person of power. Um, Josephus, who's a very well-known historian, um, wrote that, that Moses was a successful commander of the Egyptian army. And um, that, that's sort of not in the Bible, but added historically by Josephus. And he was uh, pretty well uh, credited with um, being a, a good historian. Um, um, and there's a lot of things that have taken place in that first chunk of Moses' life. Um, and, and it was believed that he was married in, in that period of time. That's when we'll, uh, in the book of Numbers, um, there's a reference to the Cushite woman. We believe that was Moses' wife while he was in Egypt. Um, and that she did not go with him when he fled Egypt, um, but, but that she existed uh, in the process. And so I say all that to tell you that Moses, um, at the time of his having to flee Egypt, he would have been, um, uh, he was pretty sure of himself. He had a pretty high opinion of himself, who he was, how he fit. And so uh, when, you know, it became, uh, it, it was aware to him that that he was going to be involved in the deliverance of his countrymen, he just figured he was in a good spot, he was ready to go, and he was going to make it happen. And so we see him, you know, in that first time when he goes out and sees someone mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves, an Egyptian, and he kills him. Like, you know, I, I will indeed deliver my people. Um, and then when he finds out it's heard about and that he's, you know, got a arrest warrant out for him, he has to take off. And so now he's... he's um, everything has changed. We're going to find him now. He's, he's become, uh, he's having to be a shepherd. So he's gone from this significant sort of life to being on the run, hiding out, being a shepherd, which he was actually, remember we, from our Genesis, the Egyptians were taught to hate shepherds. Uh, they, 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 they held them in low, low esteem. And, uh, and that's what he's doing now. He's, it's, uh, so it's fascinating again to me how God uses situations and... Um, for us to really be effective, we have to have a pretty strong measure of humility in our lives. If we think we can sort of serve God in our own strength, He will generally, by His gracious movement towards us, <laughs> knock that di idea out pretty quickly. And, uh, <laughs> and often He does that by saying, you think you can do it in your own strength? Let's see how that works for you. Um, I don't know if anybody can relate to what I just said, but I can. So. Um, just like we saw with uh, Joseph, there's a, just a time period of everything sort of not going the way you would expect, and yet how God will use them together. But in this case, he had to take sort of uh, Moses and get him in a spot where Moses was going to realize it wasn't going to be Moses that did anything. It was going to be God through Moses that was going to impact the world. And really all of us, that's a big lesson we have to learn. Really in our own strength, we but, but what God can do through us when we're yielded to Him and giving Him the credit is significant. It can make a big impact. So, uh, 
So he's, you know, when we, when we start reading, he's there, he's, a, he's sort of the shepherd, he's tending the flock of his father-in-law, um, and, and he's going to endure sort of that life for 40 years more. For you stud, 40 year run, 40 years in exile is what's happening. And so he's gone through this now in these chapters. What we're going to pick it up in chapter 3 is um, you're going to see him in, encounter the burning bush, um, which sort of begins to change everything. But that's after this exile time. And at this point in time, he was, he was ready to listen to where God would take him. He'd been changed over time. And, uh, and I love this too. He's how, the, you know, this bush, um, God just took, takes a bush, uh, an insignificant bush, and, and ignites it and turns it on fire because it's on fire and doesn't burn. But God can do that kind of stuff. And... Uh, um, it's for some, they, they see that whole burning bush thing as sort of a picture of Israel, um, that, that at the time, you know, they were God's light in the world, and they were persecuted but not consumed. Um, but but um, it's also a picture, I think, of, of Moses himself, that God's going to take now Moses, sort of insignificant, and set him on fire in a way that he can be useful um, in the purposes of the kingdom, and, and that Moses will be able to accomplish amazing things under the anointing and uh, movement and hand of God. And he's about to um, boldly go before Pharaoh and pretty much demand that he releases the people of Israel, the entire sort of labor force. And, uh, it, you know, it's going it's to... If you haven't read Exodus before, it's a fascinating series of encounters where Moses, you know, goes and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, get out of here. That's not happening. And uh, we're going to watch how it ultimately does happen. And it's really quite impossible, uh, quite uh, fascinating to watch. All right. So let me read it to you. 22 verses, not a huge long chapter. We'll talk more about it on the other side. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and seen what you have done, uh, see what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, so that when you leave you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Blessed be the word of the Lord. They're going to get paid for all that slave labor that they gave, and handsomely too. Um, but how in the world that's going to happen is all a fascinating uh, movement of God on behalf of these people that we'll read in the chapters ahead. And uh, it is indeed fascinating. So again, verse 1, big contrast now. You know, Moses' life as an Egyptian prince and life as a Midianite shepherd. You probably couldn't get a farther contrast in lifestyle. And, and uh, you know, as a prince, he had everything done for him. Famous son of an Egyptian princess. As a shepherd, he had to do everything for himself. Um, like I said, holding the job he was taught to despise. Uh, he lived as an unknown foreigner in this land, so he went from position to nothing. Um, very humbling. Um, but, but God was ultimately preparing him for leadership and what was going to happen. And, and it was getting him ready in the process. Uh, and uh, that process is never really easy when, when God is preparing us. A lot of times we, we think we're we think we're probably more ready for things than we are sometimes. So we learn uh, as we go. And, and um, he, at Mount Sinai is where these things are taking place. And that ultimately is where God is going to reveal the law uh, to Moses, the Ten Commandments. Um, he speaks in verse 2 to Moses from an unexpected source, a burning bush. Uh, and and uh, God uses unexpected sources sometimes when He talks to us, communicates to us gives us impressions, however he does it. God still, still speaks today. I mean, speaks in his Bible, right? That should always be what we base everything else on us. But have you ever had things going on in your life and like you're praying about something and somebody will come up and tell, you know, speak to you about almost the exact thing you've been praying about or you've been praying about something and, and, uh, um, and you'll hear something on the radio that seems to impact it or you'll see something and, and, you know, I think God uses a variety of things to get our attention. And, and uh, we need to be aware of, but always check everything against the Bible. Always. 
always and always and always. So, um, but be willing to sort of investigate what's happening. Um, Moses sees this bush, speaks with God. Um, not the first one in the Bible to sort of have a visible experience of God, but, but they're often in different sort of ideas like Abraham saw. If you remember the, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. Um, Jacob actually wrestled with what he thought was a man and was more than a man. Um, when, when we watch this journey, when, when Egypt is uh, um, dealt with and Israel is freed, they will um, see God as a, a pillar of cloud uh, and, and fire that goes before them. Um, and so, so he makes these appearances um, in, from time to time in the process. Uh, so that was that one. Verses 5 and 6, um, Moses takes off his shoes and covers his face. Uh, taking off his shoes is an act of irreverence. Um, and and um, we need to revere God uh, and um, never take him lightly. You know, he's our friend, but, but, and that's important. But we're, we're always to be aware of the fact that he's God and uh, sort of keep that sort of connection. Um, in verse 8, he talks about the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the land of Israel and Jordan today. Um, and what it looks like, and it's a, it's a picture of, a, of the, what the promised land would be like when they got there. Um, at this point in time now, in verse 10, uh, after this 40 years of sort of exile, Moses no longer feels even remotely capable of doing that. Probably was the spot he needed to be. Um, he goes, why, why in the world would you have me do that? We're probably thinking about, you know, that 40 years ago I could get it. But now, and in fact now is the actual perfect time for him to do it. He, he was, you know, in himself feeling inadequate. But, um, you know, God, God, wasn't, God wasn't telling him to go and do it in his own strength. God was going to be with him. He was going to give him uh, people that would help him. Uh, he was going to empower him on the journey. And so he was by no means alone. But I'm sure he felt very much alone at that point in time, and yet um, um, he's going to help him through the process, which is, and, and we need to know that too, God, when God um, has things for us to do, which he created in advance for us to do, he always wants us to do them with his help, and not thinking that we're on our own, uh, and that there's, we, you know, we have no resource, we have him as our resource, and we need to listen for him, and he leads and guides us in the process, and um, and then God, you know, amazingly uses us and our talents and our gifts and whatever it is we bring, whatever, it, you know, um, He uses those to, um, to His glory. Um, verse 13 through 15, the, the Egyptians, they had lots of different gods, little g-gods, and Moses would have uh, obviously heard about all them growing up, and so he, he wants to know, you know, God's name. So the Hebrew people would know who sent him, and God calls himself I Am which is um, a name sort of describing his, his uh, eternal power and his unchangeable character. And that's significant. God's, and God is I am. He's, he's unchanging. He's steady. He's solid. He's, he is who he is. And, um, you know, the, the God who appeared to Moses is the same God that we have today. Uh, Hebrews 13, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, we have the same aspect of our God. He doesn't, you know... He's, he's, we can count on him. We can trust him. He is who he is. He's the great I am. And uh, that's what he was communicating to Moses. And then he reminds Moses of the covenant promises he made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. 
And um, he used that name, you know, I am, to show his unchanging nature. And, and when God had promised to the patriarchs hundreds of years ago that he was going to do these things, it was a promise they could bank on, even though it didn't happen in their lifetime. But it was going to come to fruition um, in Moses. And Moses was going to be the one that God used um, in the process. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to watch. I'm, in my daily readings right now, I'm up in Numbers, in the, the book of Numbers, and there's more detail in there. But, but you know, Moses, um, Moses and Aaron at one point, the, the, the people, the fascinating thing about the people of Israel is they're going to grumble a lot on this journey. And that you're going to watch this interaction between Moses and God, where Moses says, when Moses is upset with all the people, he looks at God and says, your people are driving me crazy. And God looks back at Moses and says, go deal with your people, because... <laughs> They're driving me crazy. And I love the interaction. But at one point, they're complaining because they don't have water. So as soon as they get released, they complain about everything. And they, they keep saying, we were better off in this horrific bondage they were under. Um, and I always think, how can you do that? But I get how quickly we sort of complain. But in, uh, at one point, they're thirsty. And, and, uh, and God, I'm, I'm jumping way ahead, but it's a great story. And God tells Moses... And Aaron, go to this rock and speak to it and tell it to give water. And they go to the rock, and instead of speaking to it, they hit it twice with a stick. And they were just supposed to speak to it. When they hit it with a stick, it's almost like they did it, not God. And, they, they, you know, if they spoke to the rock and the rock started springing forth water, pretty clearly, who was in charge of that? And because of that, um, Aaron sort of gets taken out of the picture almost immediately. Um, and Moses never actually gets to enter the promised land. But God in his, I think it's great kindness, lets him see it. Puts him up on a, that's where we're headed. Gets him up where he can see it. And that's as far as Moses gets to go because of, of that particular action. But um, uh, God's going to use him to get the people there on the edge. And then, then uh, Joshua's actually going to take him in. So um, pretty cool stuff though, how God works that out. Um, God knows in verses 18 through 20 that the, the, the Israel, the leaders are going to listen to what Moses had to say, but the Pharaoh's not. He already knows that going in um, because he's God. God knows, you know, the neat, another neat thing too is God knows how these things are going to work out, which is, which is good. He knows the beginning and the end. If you've ever had that, I think I've probably told you how I look at that process, but it really helps me about um, who God is. And, and uh, when we look at life, so it's like a parade. It's like the, I always think about the Macy's parade. You ever watch the Thanksgiving parade for Macy's? I do every year. It's a tradition with my family. So we put the parade on. When you're watching the parade on TV, all you see is what's in front of you, right? But if you were watching that parade up in the blimp, you could see the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade. It's already there. You just have a different perspective on things. Well, I always think of, you know, God's perspective is outside of time. And so he can see the beginning and the end. He just knows how it's going to work out. And so he knows. what he knew what was going to be the reactions and everything else. And then, and then, then I say that, and people go, "Well, if he already knows that, then why? What difference do we make? Or why should we pray? Or any of those other things? If it's all going to work out?" And then I always say, "Okay, don't limit God, because the for us, because we're finite, to get to a fixed point, we would assume that there's only one way to get there, and that we got to get everything right to get there." So like we have this idea where God's making everything do this thing, you know, to, and, and God is so amazing because He's God. He takes whatever the circumstances and works them to that same point. So, so your prayers matter. Everything matters that you do. It makes a difference. You have an impact 
but, but don't limit God on how He uses things. Because people then, people, you know, they don't make this. What if it's the wrong decision? God can use it. Pray about it and then do your best. And if it's a wrong decision, well, make the next right one. Um, but don't get stuck. Pray about everything because God does all sorts of things in answer to prayer. So anyway, but he sees the beginning and the end. And he knows what's going to happen in this encounter as it goes. And so he's preparing Moses for that. Look, it's, you're going to go and tell Pharaoh we're leaving. Don't worry that he says no. We're going to make him say yes. And we'll get him there. And, uh, and this is going to be the events that happen uh, on, the, on the journey. And then he tells them, when you leave, get the, get the family ready to ask the neighbors to borrow stuff for this journey. But you're, you're taking it and out you go. And they will be loaded down with stuff that will ultimately be the resource they use to get the tabernacle set up. So pretty cool stuff, uh, I think. Anyway, lots of stuff coming on. Just kind of trying to get you ready. So you'll, you'll start watching it fall into place here over the next few weeks. If you're watching my video, thank you for doing that. Visit us when you can. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page. Go there. We will pray for you. Um, we're going to say goodnight to the video, and then we're going to do our prayer time here.